Life is a Highway. That's what Tom Cochran sung in 1991. That refrain took greater hold on the American psyche and our household when the Pixar movie Cars brought Rascal Flats into everybody's living room and that song hit the top seven of the 100, top 100 Billboard charts. The lyrics say in part, life is, a life is a road you travel on when there's one day here and the next day gone. Sometimes you bend, sometimes you stand, sometimes you turn your back to the wind. There's a world outside your darkened door where blues won't haunt you anymore, and it keeps going on. And the refrain says, life is a highway. James agrees with this 100%. Last week, we found James telling us that life is indeed a highway. It's a highway full of troubles and trials and hardships where the winds of affliction blow to and fro, and there is all kinds of problems. But he says, take heart. He said this last week. Do not fret. Rejoice. Your every trial is on purpose. The trials you experience, when they have their full effect, they will make you perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That was the point last week. It's wonderful. It's great news. It's great news to know that we are headed somewhere. We're not just sort of floating about in the ether. We are headed somewhere, and the Lord is doing a work in all of us. Our trials are not for nothing. That's outstanding. But you might sit here and say, that's wonderful to understand that we're going somewhere meaningful and that my suffering is building me into somebody who the Lord, who, who can be called perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. But what about today? What about today? It's helpful to know that one day we will be complete and lacking in nothing. But you might think, what about today? What about the hardships and the trials I am going through now? I don't just need to hear that I will end up perfect and complete and lacking in nothing. I need resources just to keep going. Maybe you feel this morning a pain so intense that you feel like you're climbing a flight of stairs with no end in sight. You need a word from God today. And frankly, you need something more than where you're going to end up. You need something that tells you how the Lord will help you today. You might be saying, I'm glad that I have a good destination, but I need help with the next step. Well, today, today, James tells us how God helps us with the next step. Today, we go back to life and the highway we're going on, and we're introduced to how the Lord helps his people one step at a time. We're going to see that God gives from his generous and bountiful heart, God gives wisdom who all, to all who ask. How does God help? God delivers wisdom to his people. Now there's an exception, and we'll see that as we go. We see in two points, God, there are those that God helps by giving wisdom, and there are those that God ignores by leaving them alone. There are those that God helps and there are those that God ignores. Now, I'm going to begin reading in verse 2 so that we can be reminded of the context we find ourselves in here. It can be tempting to think that James is now picking up another topic in verse 5 where he's going, well, we talked about suffering. Now we're going to talk about wisdom. No, 
They go together. James is telling us this. Here is the way the Lord helps you make it to the end so that you might be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers. Should read my brothers and sisters. When you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now here's the text for us this morning. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let's pray. Lord, the reading of your word means that we've just heard you speak. But that's not a guarantee always that we will listen. I pray for us to listen this morning. I pray that you would capture and catch and keep our attention. I pray, Lord, that you would awaken those who are asleep, comfort those who are afflicted, challenge those that are not saved, and expose those who are double-minded. Jesus, it's in your name we pray. Amen. Two very simple points this morning. First, those God helps. We can see this is verses 5 and 6. Those God helps. Verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. So, who are those that God helps? Those that ask. Simple. Who are those that God helps? Those that ask. Now, James is a man of very few words, and you can take what he says on face value. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him or her ask God. Now, the wisdom that James is talking about is wisdom as defined by the Bible. Wisdom, for us, sometimes we can think wisdom means that we know a lot about a lot of different things, and we can tweet things that get retweeted because they're pithy and smart and wise. But that's not the idea here. What we have in Scripture is the biblical idea of wisdom. And the biblical idea of wisdom is always helping the man or woman of God become wise so that they might know how to live, so that they might know what to do in that moment to be able to obey and honor God. James is saying, when you face trials, when you're embroiled in hardship, when you're tangled in circumstances, and you don't know what to do, ask. Ask. If you don't know how to live, ask. Notice the simplicity. We're the ones who make it more complex, right? Ask. There's no magic formulations. 
There are no special prayers. There's no kind of religious tradition. There's no rite of passage. What do we do when we need help and we're, found, we're trapped in hardship? We ask for help. Ask. You might even be able to render this, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him or her keep asking God. The idea here is that we should always continually keep asking God for wisdom. There is no hardship too small. There is no hardship too big. There is nothing that you can say, well, that's not that big a deal. No, we are to be a people who recognize that we all lack wisdom and we ought to ask and ask and ask and ask. This means that we should ask even when things seem so complicated and confusing and befuddling. We ask. This means we ask when we think we have all of the road ahead map. We ask. This means that when we have a tangle of troubles that we're ensnared in of our own making, we should ask for help, and he will give wisdom. When you don't know what to do, ask. When you aren't quite sure what to do, ask. When you think you know what to do, ask. When you're sure you know what to do, ask. And he gives to all. Look again at verse 5. If any of you, who is that? All of us, we, were, we, we qualify as any, lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. Now, it's interesting that what James does to help us be spurred on to ask is not by saying, hey, this is just the way it is because I told you so. The text doesn't read, look again at verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God and it will be given him. No, he gives us a reason that we can go to God and ask. You know what he does? He shows us a glimpse into God's character. How does God give to those who ask? He gives two ways generously, more than we need, more than we can even ask for, and without reproach. He gives both. Generously, meaning that when you ask for help, he will give more help than you need, and without reproach. This means he's not going to say, you don't really deserve my help. (laughs) You know, let's be honest, you've had a bad day. Heck, you've had a bad week, month. Let's just call it a bad life. You do not deserve my help. That's, that is, but okay. You know, just this once, I'll give it to you. That's giving with reproach. He doesn't say, when you ask for help, who are you kidding? Your thoughts have been particularly twisted and tainted. You're so broken. But just this once, that's giving with reproach. He doesn't say, you should know better by now. But okay, that would be giving with reproach. He's not going to say, how long have you been a Christian? And you're asking for help in this situation? No, that would be giving with reproach. No, he gives generously without reproach. He's not going to say, finally. He's not going to say, I told you so. He's not going to say, it's about time. He's not going to say, well, insert lecture. He's not going to do that. He's going to give generously without reproach because that's who he is. In short, he gives 
differently than we do, right? The truth is, he gives generously and without reproach. And when we're asked for something, one of the reasons we are tempted not to go to the Lord to ask is because when people ask us for something, we can be tempted to give with reproach and say, well, it's the last time. Or I'm not going to do this again. But here James wants us to see that the Lord is not like us. Even though he has good reason to reproach and rebuke us, he does not. We know we fall short. We are frail. We wander. We fall. We are broken in so many ways. Sometimes we can make the same mistakes over and over and over and over. In short, we still struggle with sin. But our sin is no reason for God to withhold good things from us. Is it because we're worthy? No. It's because He is generous and He gives without reproach. He does not treat us as our sins deserve. He gives generously. If He can give and has given His Son to come and live and die and rise again so that we might not spend eternity apart from Him, that level of generosity we could not imagine. He is saying, we know He's generous. You can go with Him, go to Him with something as small as asking for help when you're embroiled in troubles. It's stark in its simplicity. Verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all, without reproach, and it will be given him. Need wisdom? Ask God, he'll give it, period. God promises to give us wisdom in the midst of hardships and trials so that we might know what to do next. Now notice, he does not promise when we ask that we will be delivered or that our circumstances will change like that. Or that we will have an escape. Or that we will have understanding. No, he promises wisdom. See, here's how the Christian life works. We don't get delivered often from our trials. Instead, we get wisdom from the Lord to walk through our trials. Do you see the difference? We don't often get teleported away from our trials. Instead, the Lord gives us wisdom to walk through our trials as He gives it to us. Wisdom does not always seem like good news. He's not going to give us an escape plan. But He is going to help us understand what's next. That's the wisdom He provides. You see, some of us want a map, a detailed map, like when we put it into our phone, I'm going to this place, I want a turn-by-turn navigation for the everything that's going to have ne happen next in my life. I want that to happen so that in that way, and that way I can be confident that I'm going the right direction. And the Lord says, that's great, but that's not how it works with me. Here's what I do. I give you wisdom for the next step. I give you the wisdom you need. That's what he says. He helps us through trouble. He very, very rarely teleports it, teleports us out of trouble. So, again, when you're in trouble, 
when you find yourself in hardship, when you find yourself in a crisis of any kind, if you lack wisdom, let him ask God. And he, 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 God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. Simple. Verse 6, we take another step. Verse, verse 6 says, but let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. Now, James isn't giving us words, but he's telling us how to ask. He's saying, here's how you need to ask. You need to ask in faith. You need to believe and trust that the Lord will hear you and respond to you and give you an answer. Now, you might disqualify yourself right there and say, I've got doubts. Well, I do too. I've got doubts. I wander. I'll admit that right now. Is James saying that we better not pray unless we cleanse ourselves of every scrap of doubt? Is he saying that we need to clean ourselves up and not have one scintilla of doubt? No. Perfect faith is never the prerequisite for answered prayer. Authentic faith always is. God knows doubt is inevitable. Authentic faith in Christ is never perfect. James is not speaking of instances of doubt, but of a settled doubt. Do you see the difference? We can doubt from time to time. All of us honest Christians are going to have doubts. We're like the father in Mark chapter 9 who comes to Jesus with the son who's in great trouble. His disciples can't do anything. Jesus, and he says, the, the father says to Jesus, if you can do something... And Jesus says, if I can. And the man yells, I believe. Help my unbelief. James is not saying that that man should have expected nothing. In fact, the Psalms are full of people going to God with their doubts. This is what we should to do with our doubts. Go to him and ask for help. What kind of doubt is James warning us against here? The kind of person who does not fully follow Jesus. The kind of person who doesn't just have instances of doubt or moments of questions, but whose life is not marked by following Jesus. See, the kind of person James is saying here is a person who continually and only doubts. What is this person like? Well, he tells us in the rest of verse 6, for this one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. A wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. Have you ever looked at the ocean? Have you ever watched the sea? There's something about it that is, well, it's rhythmic in that it's always changing. When you look at the water, it is never at rest. You can see and hear crashing waves. It is constant movement, never ending. The water is always churning and roiling and stirring, and it's never peaceful. It's never still. And all of this is compounded when the wind starts whipping around and blowing. As the gales rise, the water dances and moves all over the place, and the water continues to churn and roil and stir. 
Here's the idea James is getting at. Just as the water is always moving and never at rest, the doubter is constantly restless. He's constantly moving to God, then away. To God, and then away. To God, and then away. And his life, or her life, is not marked by a settled trust in Jesus, but a settled and continuous doubt. James is not describing instances of doubt, but a division of loyalties. Two and away from Jesus. Two and away from Jesus. Two and away from Jesus. We found that those that go through trials and hardship have access to wisdom from God if they just ask. There are others who go through trials and hardship that God ignores. We see that in verses 7 and 8. Those God ignores. Verse 7. That person, when he talks about that person, he's talking about the one that is like the ocean, moving and shifting and always and never the same and and always coming and going from Jesus. We see verse 7. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. You see what we go here? If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask who gives generously to all without reproach. Now we have it totally flipped for that person, that person who is a constant doubter and does not follow Jesus wholeheartedly, that person must not suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. Why? Verse 8, he is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. On the one hand, authentic Christians ask and you will receive wisdom. Double-minded, ask, and you get nothing. You'll be ignored. Your ways will be completely and totally unstable. That is ruinous news. Double-mindedness inflicts people with utter and complete instability. The word literally means double-souled. What does that mean? It means that people who are double-minded have split allegiances. They try to be two people. One who follows Jesus and one who doesn't. Now what we're not saying, now we know as Christians we live in two cities. We live in the city of God. We also live in the city of man. We're citizens both of the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this earth. We live in two worlds. But that's not what James James is talking about. James is talking about that person who has a split allegiance. That person who sometimes follows the Lord and sometimes does not. And what you must understand is is that that person who is the on-again, off-again follower of Jesus, that person must not expect to receive anything from the Lord and must expect that their life will become utterly destroyed. That's the kind of person God ignores. A picture might help. Behind me is Janus, the god... Roman God of beginnings, of gates, transitions, time, duality, doorways, passages, and endings. Kind of covers everything. He's usually depicted as having two faces since he looks both to the future, (coughs) excuse me, and to the past. Now, the double-minded person does not, like Janus, look to the future and the past. The double-minded person has two faces just the same. 
But the double-minded person looks both toward Jesus and away from Jesus. He has two faces. She has two faces because she lives or he lives a split kind of life. Sometimes they follow God and look to him, and other times they don't. It's constant back and forth. And James is saying, double-minded men, double-minded women, you cannot look two ways at once. You cannot be of two minds. You must not have a split allegiance. You must follow Jesus. Because if you go back and forth and back and forth, you must understand that you will receive nothing. In your hour of need, when your trials come upon you, you will receive nothing. You must not suppose that you will receive anything from the Lord. In fact, you will find that your life is completely and totally unstable. The double-minded person is split. The person who has split loyalties has no loyalties at all. Sometimes the double-minded ask the Lord for help, guidance, solace, and strength. And sometimes the double-minded person looks to money for help, guidance, solace, and strength. Sometimes the double-minded person follows the direction Jesus gives. And sometimes the double-minded person follows the direction his family gives. Sometimes the double-minded care about the things that Jesus cares about, and sometimes they care more about what their mom thinks. Sometimes the double-minded will want to obey the Lord, and other times the double-minded will want to obey their lusts. Sometimes the double-minded thinks it's worthwhile to sacrifice anything for Jesus, and other times the double-minded think thinks it's worthwhile to sacrifice anything just to be proven right. Sometimes the double-minded person sings in church. Other times the double-minded person cusses out their kids. Sometimes the double-minded follow Jesus, and sometimes they don't. See, being double-minded is much different than having intellectual doubt or asking honest questions. The double-minded person goes back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. A double-minded person tries to be two people at once. Now, some of you might be alarmed, thinking, is that me? And my temptation is to say, no, it's not. Well, it might be. What we need to do is let the Word of God settle on our shoulders and let us think about this for ourselves, because here is one of the great troubles with being double-minded. You can look the part. You can say all the right things. You can do all the right things. You can even believe the right things. And yet, not really be following Jesus. Because there's a reality that no one knows the sincerity and the truth of who you serve. No one really knows that. Now, we can put on a show. We can play the game. We can say good things. We can do good things. We can even give our life for things that are worthwhile. But that and those things do not give us confidence that we, ought to be, that we are Christians. That's the danger here. See, we all need to think about it like this. Do I follow Jesus? In that spot, like in my mind, am I following him and him alone? There's a sense in which only you can answer that question. 
Now, there may be some here who are wondering, what's the difference between being double-minded and struggling against remaining sin? All Christians struggle against remaining sin. We all have remaining sin to battle against, and we must battle. Here's the difference between people struggling with remaining sin and the double-minded. The double-minded do not fight against sin as much as they try to manage it, cope with it, excuse it, or pretend like it's not real. The double-minded are aiming not to kill sin as much as not be embarrassed by it. Do you see the difference? Christians may struggle with a great many sins and be honest and say, this is where I am, to the Lord and with a select group of believers. But the double-minded, they have a split allegiance, so they're going to try to show good to others. The double-minded people hide sin and don't repent of it. The double-minded person blames others often for their sin, and they don't repent. The double-minded ignore sin and don't repent. The double-minded excuse sin and don't repent. And many, 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 many times, the double-minded live a completely double life. The double-minded person is duplicitous. And James is saying, you can't be two people at once. Struggling weak Christians, we should be honest with our struggles. Be honest with the Lord and others. Double-minded people, here's the difference, they're hypocrites. They're duplicitous. One sign of a double-minded person is that they are not the same person everywhere they go. Around Christians and on Sunday, they're one way. At work, they're another way. At home, they're another way. Monday through Saturday, there's something different. Christians, we who follow Jesus, we're called to be the same whenever, whenever, wherever, whenever, and, and however we find ourselves. Are you? Where are you? You need to realize that a divided devotion to Jesus is no real devotion at all. So where do we go from here? First, we must realize and grasp that being double-minded is not an event in someone's life, but a characteristic. Double-mindedness is a consistent inconsistency toward following Jesus. A consistent inconsistency. A consistent looking one way and the other. One of the reasons James sounds the warning so loudly is because double-minded people can hide in plain sight. Let this sit on you. Double-minded people may not be recognized by a choice, a word, a day, but they're recognized by a pattern. The double-minded person ultimately is known by his or her vacillation from Jesus. And here's what happens. The double-minded man becomes, verse 8, unstable in all his ways. Not just a couple, all his ways. Do you see what this is saying? Your life will be ruined if you try to have a split allegiance. There are two promises in our passage today. One, 
Those of us who are believers in Jesus, we find ourselves in the midst of hardship. We're embroiled in troubles. We're tangled in all kinds of things. Circumstances are grabbing our our ankles, and we don't know where to go. We can cry out for help and say, help, and he will help us. Why? Because we deserve it? No, because he's generous. And we know this. We know we serve a generous God, a God who delights to give us good things. Think about what we have as believers today. We have Christ. We have Christ as our substitute, our Savior, our older brother. Christ is the one who has stepped in the gap and taken our place. We would never, if this truth of the gospel was not written in the pages of Scripture like it is, none of us would ever come up with the idea of going to God the Father and saying, listen, I'm such a wicked sinner, I'm treacherous, I'm treasonous. What you need to do is send your beloved spotless son so that I can live and he die. None of us would say that. But that's what he did. We know he's generous. We know he's generous. We know. So we can ask for help. So Christian, where are you struggling? Where? Where are you struggling? You are not called to go it alone. Not only are you called to help have people help you, but also you are called to ask the Lord for wisdom. And he promises he will give wisdom to you. Listen, our life, one day we will be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. One day, that's the destination. When this highway that we're riding on, when it's over, when we pull off the off, when we get off the off ramp and we, we arrive, one day we'll be complete and perfect. But today is probably not that day for us. Today, what we need is wisdom. So some of us in this room are in pain and carrying things around and trying to figure stuff out all by ourselves. You must not do that. You must not do that. You must hear the word of God saying this to you. Ask God. If you lack wisdom, Ask God for help. And the same God who has given you Christ will give you wisdom to know what to do next. Now, the skies aren't going to part. Angel's not going to come down and say, like, Jeremiah, eat this, and all of a sudden you'll know what to do. No. You pray. You read the Bible. You ask the counsel of godly friends. You pray with friends. You get counseling. You ask for help, both from the Lord and from other believers. Because oftentimes... The way the Lord gives wisdom to his people is from the mouths of other Christians. Ask for help. Those of you who are in trouble, ask, and the Lord will give. Now, he's not going to give you all the turns of your path, but he's going to help you know what to do next. Ask. Double-minded. I don't know who in this room is double-minded, but in a room this size, I can only imagine there are those who are. It's important to confess your dual allegiance, to acknowledge that sometimes you follow Jesus and sometimes you don't. And what you need to realize 
is a sometime follower of Jesus is no follower of Jesus at all. You can't live one foot in and one foot out. But you can go to him and ask him for forgiveness and help. He gives generously to all who ask. And you know what? When you go to him, even if you're a double-minded hypocrite who says one thing and lives something else and you realize that, you can go to him and say, help. And our generous God is not going to say, oh, you're too dirty, you're too messy, you're too much of a mess, get out of here. No, he's going to say, welcome. Welcome. So even if you, even if no one knows and you're living a double life, and you're duplicitous, and you have a split kind of existence, come to Jesus. He will forgive you. He will. And then, the promise here, that any who lack wisdom, you can know you will receive that as well. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that the right people here this morning are bothered and the right people are comforted. And that's something I leave in your hands, Lord. I, I, can't, I can't superintend over all, the, all those details, Lord. But I pray this. I pray that where there are honest Christians who are struggling against sin, Lord, I pray that you would, I pray that you would comfort them, Lord, and allow them to continue to come to you and ask forgiveness. I pray that where, where there are double-minded people, Lord, I pray that you would help them to see the ruinous pattern of their lives. Lord, I can't do that. I can't. I can point them to the scriptures, but I pray that your scriptures would do their work. I pray also for Christians here who are stuck in trials and hardships and don't feel like there's any way out pray that they would ask for help. And I pray that you would give them their next step and continue to wake up and ask for help day by day, maybe hour by hour, so that the Lord might give each step as it comes. Lord, I pray that there would be a whole host of people here who would recognize that you are that good and generous God who freely gives wisdom to all who ask. As we tell our stories about how you delivered us through hardship, not by beaming us out, but by giving us step by step by step by step. Lord, I pray, bless those who are in trouble with that kind of wisdom. And I pray that you would shake those who are double-minded and fake. I pray that they would point the finger at themselves and do business with you. Jesus, it's in your name and in you we have ultimate confidence in. Amen. I'll leave you with the opening words Peter had in his first book when he says, May grace... And peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God 
and of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. May grace and peace be multiplied to all of you. Next week, we'll continue in James. Until then, you're dismissed. Have a wonderful afternoon and week.